Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. My name is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. So, you've shared the gospel. Awesome. There's a lot of my life that that wouldn't have been true, so let's celebrate that. And we pray for, and then especially celebrate, when someone turns from their sins and believes in Jesus. On the spot would be awesome. But let's be honest, we're not all Kenton Killebrew sharing the three circles on the steps of the New York City Library. And many times, oftentimes, that doesn't happen. Uh, many times we get a yellow light response, as Matt talked about in the last episode. We get a, I'll hear you more about this. Well, what do you do then? We need to help people discover truth from God's word and encourage them to obey what they learn. This is what that would sound like. Hey, this has been a really great conversation. Would you want to look at a story about Jesus in the Bible sometime to better understand him? My guest on the road today is Steve Parlato, and he does a great job sharing how you can help disciples and seekers discover truth from God's word and then obey it. Yeah, I'd love to know what has been the best part of, I guess, the last week or so. Well, my highlight would be getting our whole family together on Sunday for a big meal and celebration. We have two adult sons here in the United States, but my wife and I are launching back overseas. And so it's going to be the last time until we see them for several months and exchange some gifts and and just for them to honor their, their parents. And so it was a really, really sweet time together. Oh, that's great. So that transitioned great. Just tell us about a little bit about who you are, um, what, where you're about to transition to, uh, if you're able to, and just what you're laboring for and uh, hope to see Absolutely. God here there. We're Steve and Amy Parlato. We've been catalyzing church multiplication movements, disciple multiplication, in Southeast Asia for the last 27 years. And we're heading back to Northeast Thailand, Northeast or the Isan region of Northeast Thailand. And our vision there is to see a movement of disciples who multiply disciples, leaders that multiply leaders and churches that multiply churches. We're working among the Theravada Buddhist people in Northeast Thailand and in Laos. And our vision really just is an application from scripture. But like we can read in Malachi 111, our desire is that from the, dis from the rising of the sun to its setting, that God's name would be great in all the nations. It's a promise in Malachi, and we're just taking that promise and applying it into our local setting in Northeast Thailand and just saying, okay, Lord, until there's a church in every sub-district, until we can present the gospel personally, face-to-face, -to, -face, to every single family in the whole region. Um, our people group, uh, most of them are rural rice farmers, but they practice folk Buddhism. So by folk Buddhism, we mean it's, it's, it's syncretized, okay? It's a mix. It's a mix of Buddhist philosophy, Thai animistic practices, and Hindu <laughs> culture, Hindu practices as well. Is there any significant, um, just even Christians following Jesus or even Christian syncretism there, or is it pretty much completely uh, removed from any sort of Christian religion? Buddhism is definitely not synchronized with Christianity. We need to be on our guard that 
Christians from a Buddhist background don't themselves start syncretizing or hanging on to animistic beliefs. In some sense, discipleship is really taking people from a Buddhist, folk Buddhist background and walking them step by step towards Jesus. Yeah, well, let's just jump there then. What do you guys use? Is there a process you use to kind of see that happen? Well, our key process is really what we could call three-thirds group process. By three-thirds, that means the the discipleship meeting time is divided into three equal chunks of time. You split the time into three 30-minute sections or three 40-minute sections. And in the first section, we're looking back. Okay, how did you obey last week? Um, how was your last week? So we connect with one another. We connect with God through worship, and then we check in on how do we obey. Then the middle third is really looking up. Okay, we give a vision cast. Why are we doing this? What What is our purpose as a group? What is God's big purpose as a God in the world? Mm. Which is that all might know, which is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Then we get into a participatory Bible study time, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. The last third is coming up with specific action steps that people can live out and to have some time to practice. And this is an opportunity for the leader to see what do the members of the group understand? Are they, where are they struggling? And gives the members of the group a chance to practice anything they need to practice in order to be better disciple makers. That, that's the makeup of these three thirds. We look back, we look up to God for a new lesson. We look forward in making plans in preparing ourselves for being a good disciple maker in the coming week. So the three thirds uh, process uh, was first described as a training for trainers group or a T and then the number four T, T4T group, which is written up in a book by Steve Smith and Ying Kai called T4T, a discipleship re-revolution. It's really an obedience-oriented disciple-making group. I would just love to hear more on just that piece of helping people discover God's truth for themselves. Middle third, it's um, where you've got a leader who's going to ask a standard set of questions uh, rather than a unique set of questions for every single verse in the Bible or every section or every narrative piece in the Bible and we come up with specialty questions you know just for Colossians chapter 1 and another set of specialty questions for Colossians 2 and the reason we pick a standard question set is for multiplicability of the leaders mm. we found with the simple set of questions, we can get into very deep and rich theological conversation about the passage. Some of the things we're learning, and so so some of those questions, like in the, in the three-thirds group, we start out, we'll read the passage or tell it orally, read it through very carefully, and we'll say, what do you like about the passage? What do you not like or not understand about the passage? Now, those two questions leave the theologians cold. They think, oh, that's not deep enough. Let's just scrap those two. <laughs> but I can tell you from real experience, those questions are very valuable time so that the leader especially, but everyone in the group, can know where everyone is at. Mm. What did they hear? What are they thinking when they just read that passage? It is not good to assume that they just understand what the passage means, okay? And so you've got to have a feedback loop. And so when you say, what do you like about the passage? What 
brought to your attention through that passage, you immediately know where they went to. And of course, what they missed. Mm -hmm. You're gonna hear all sorts of crazy stuff brought up. They might start talking about things that are totally off topic. You need to know that as a leader in order that you bring them from this point where they're at back to what does this actually say? Okay, so what did you not understand? And a lot and a lot of people don't want to say unless you've got good trust in the group. They'll just keep that to themselves. What do you not understand? Well, I understand everything. Well, great. Now let me ask you, what does the son of man mean? Yeah, well, maybe there is something in there I didn't quite get. You are just you're starting to get people to open up and talk. Those are also questions you that work really well with non-believers or, or seekers. And you want you want to get them talking and participating. Then we stop, we read the scripture again, and we'll ask the next two questions. What does the passage teach us about God, his nature, his purposes, his goals? You know, what's God like? And then the second question, the next question is, what does this passage teach us about people, humanity? What are people's needs and wants, problems, issues from this scripture, from this passage? Then the hardest question comes, which is, based on everything we've discussed, what will you do with this passage? How will you apply it in your life? So the most open-ended way to do that is, based on this scripture, what will you do with it? Now we can narrow that back in, and with some cultures and some settings, that's really important, where we, we break it down and say, is there a command to follow? Is there an example to follow? Is there an example to avoid? Is there a prohibition that we need to observe? And then who will you share the story with? Who will you, who will you train in the coming week to be a disciple? And so you, you kind of size up your group. Can you just ask the open, open-ended question and they come up with good action steps? Or do you need to break it down? You know, what are we learning about doing this stuff is, you know, I've, I've been leading three-thirds groups uh, according to a three-thirds or T4T format since 2009. I don't know how many dozens of groups I've led. We're getting a pretty good feel for how this stuff works. We've had some groups together for over two years running first principle I learned is let the scripture answer the question. Even if the question that's come up is totally off topic. I was going to ask you about that. Okay, great. And there's always, there's always going to be people that just bring up something out of the clear blue. But you know what? That's really where they're, that's what they're dealing with. Mm, yeah. They're not about good exegesis. They didn't come at it that way. They just came like, I got this messed up problem and I want God to help me. So help me. So when you say, let the scripture answer, do you mean that passage you're looking at today? Like, or do you try to say, hey, you can also, you can find an answer to that in Mark 7 or something. So you let scripture be at the center, um, not yourself. Right. Be center of authority and give you the answer. We try to stick to just what's in the passage for that day. Okay, someone brings up a question about divorce, but the passage we're looking about has nothing to do with that. Right. I would say... That's a really interesting subject that the Bible has things to say about. Can we talk about that another time? So there's a discipline to say, what does this passage teach us? Not, what do we wish it would teach us? <laughs> right. Some people say, well, I asked the questions and they gave crazy answers. So <laughs> I'm just going to teach from now on. 
right. Okay, I need to just tell them what the passage says so we don't waste time. But we have to remember the point of this group is to disciple them. Mm-hmm. But them to feed themselves. The group isn't about you as the leader becoming good at sharing scripture or exegeting the Bible. The, book, the point of this group is really to equip your people to be good disciples who are self-feeders, can get at the truth, can get at the message. So some groups will come in and you'll ask them, what does the passage teach us about God in this passage? And they just say some platitude that's way out there. They're not even dealing with the scripture at all. So rather than abandon the process and say, well, participatory Bible study, you can't, just heretical talk. It's your opportunity as a leader to rein this thing and say, now what does it say? And sometimes you have to look people in the face and get very pointed. Peter just said this, this, this. Group, where do we see this, this, this in this passage? I didn't see that. Where'd you get it? I don't know. Hey, Peter, where'd you see that? Oh, well, I just heard that from my cousin's pastor, you know, and I'm just sure we're not seeing it there at all. Sorry. But what does it say? Oh, now, now, now it brings us all back to, okay, let's read it again. Like, I want you to really listen, take in the story. What can you get out of this? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got to work with people and not just get fussed that they talked off topic because they're always going to talk off topic. <laughs> we all do, right? So it's even as you're talking, it's helping me reflect. I've, I've told people about uh, what we're describing, discovery, participatory Bible studies. And I try to say, hey, you, it's a, in one sense, it might be easier. You don't have to like prepare a sermon to lead a Bible study. But then even as you're talking, it's a great reminder that sometimes it's it might be easier just to teach because you don't have to deal with the messiness. Um, but end fruit of people learning from God's word themselves and then knowing how to self-feed and teach others is worth the worth that messiness. So I was just reflecting on that as you were talking. That was really, that's really good. That's right. That's exactly the point. It's the difficulty in re- leading a participatory discovery Bible process that focuses on obedience is managing people. Mm. You do have to learn some skills of how to manage that group. You can't just say, well, I've got the standard question set and I'm just gonna sit here like a clean cardboard box and read out the questions. So I recommend that as a new leader, that your group size is three to six people. That it's a group, it's not just one-on-one. Because I believe the group process always trumps one-on-one. With the exception, with certain topics that are maybe very, very personal in nature, it's better to do a one-on-one, almost like a one-on-one counseling session or something. Right. But for a new leader, you don't want too big a group. Mm-hmm. It'd be harder to manage all those differing opinions. If you gain experience, you could probably expand up to about 12 people in a group. If you go beyond that, participation goes way down and you need to start introducing other techniques for managing the group like in the first third where you report on your accountability and action steps you do it in pairs mm-hmm. you got a group of 12 or 15 okay everyone grab a partner you have to have more group management skills as you get that seventh the eighth the ninth the tenth person i've managed groups up to 30 it's nuts it is just <laughs> You might as well just start giving sermons, but you got to 
yeah, you got to multiply leaders and keep the group size manageable. Yeah. Is there any tweaks for somebody that's more in that seeker end? I feel like I often run into mm -hmm. um, people that are um, interested in a spiritual conversation, um, shared, like clearly shared the gospel, and um, they don't write you off. They want to have the conversation, but nor are they ready to, to, to turn and believe in Jesus. Any, but they, and then I've had people accept. Sometimes I'm surprised when I say, hey, would you want to look at us, some stories in the Bible just to discover some truth for yourself? And it's always surprising to me who God has says yes, because <laughs> sometimes you're like, you, you really do? You're surprised. But any tweaks when you have uh, somebody that's more in the, that seeker, they don't really fully believe the Bible, but they're interested in learning from it? There are a few things to tweak. Don't meet too long. Mm. Pick a section of scripture that's like four to 12 verses long. You tell the story or read it together out loud. What do you like? What do you not like? Non-believers really, they love that question. Mm -hmm. What do you not? Gosh, they never let us do that at church. I hate <laughs> it. Well, come on, just lay it out. What do you hate? What's disgusting? What's awful? Tell me about it, okay? Where are you at? What do you not understand? Then you say, tell me who's Jesus? Who do you identify with in the story? Okay, that's a little bit of a tweak. Well, you know, I kind of identify with the four friends who carried the paralytic in. No, I, I think I feel like the paralytic. My life's just a train wreck. No, I feel like those Pharisee guys that are sitting there judging Jesus. Then you say, if this was true, how would you need to change your life? So the action step, there's a question that's like the action step. You know, if this passage was true. And so we're pushing for a specific application and them taking one step of obedience. You know, could you try that out in your next week? What would that look like if you were to actually walk that out in your next week? And they may or may not do that. But the fact that we've, we've, we've had that kind of challenging question to them, there's a good chance that they will take some steps. And I know if they take steps of obedience towards Scripture— Jesus is going to start showing up in their life and things are going to start happening and they're going to say, you wouldn't believe it, but I actually did that stuff and it, what a difference it made. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's like checking in on your obedience step. So you do, you do the story with your seeker friend or group of friends and you say, Hey, do you like this? Mm. Could you like, do you have any friends in your life that you think, would benefit from a story like this? Do you like ever get together with those people? What if, what if, like, do you, do you ever get together with friends somewhere, anywhere, anytime? Like, oh yeah, yeah, we all, we do pick up softball every, you know, Saturday morning down at the park. Okay. Whatever it is, you know, great. Ask them if they would like to hear another story like this. And I would come to you get your group together and I would come and we would just have a conversation just like we just had where I'll bring forth a Bible story and we'll, we'll pick it apart and we're going to say, you know, if this was truth, like what would it look like? What would people's lives look like if they walked it out? What would your life have to change in, in order to walk this out? And so what you're doing as you're beginning to gather the group, you're you're asking people to obey. Even before, you know, they make no decisions about this, they're still 70% sure it's not true. 
or it's, you know, they're hoping it's true, but <laughs> they're not too sure about it. And, you know, those are some of the tweaks. And so you don't say, hey, can we get together for the next six weeks? It's just like, could you get some friends together and we'll just do this one more time, see how it goes? Mm-hmm. Let's say they do. You've now got your first marker that very well, this person may be a person of peace. Mm-hmm able to gather people they're so hungry and interested in the truth they're actually gonna put themselves forward with their friends and say i'm getting something really cool out of this why don't you guys come and listen that's the person you want to pour into if they say oh no way i could never get anyone together you still say okay great let's get would you like to do this again when can i meet you next and, and you pursue it. And if after the second time you've met, they're starting to send text messages, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, that was great, but I'm kind of moving on. Or they're even more bold and just say, forget it. Okay, you got your message. Right. But you've let the Bible do the filtering. Mm-hmm. People let the gospel filter for interest. That's really important. And that word works on their heart. And you see, oh, is there a spiritual pulse? Is the Holy Spirit already working in this person? It's a yes, you, you pursue them. Mm-hmm. If it's yes, and they can get a group together, you, you yeah. know, cancel your appointments, go to that. You need to be there. Yeah. But do you have any many stories that just jump to mind, whether that's in your current context or um, it can be from the past where you just saw a story of how God really used that to help, to help people follow him? When I went to Thailand in 2016, I started three of these groups with believers and I explained to them up front that this was an obedience oriented disciple making group just to describe and we're going to expect you to actually uh, do things we're not going to tell you what to do but the scripture will tell you what to do and you need to obey it mm. so anyone who wants to be a, a disciple who obeys Jesus this is the group for you and so the first week we had 16 people come each group, 16, or three groups of 16. Wow, it's huge. And uh, they came, most of them came the next week. And I started into the accountability part. What did you do to obey? And people are, uh, you know, taken aback, like, oh my goodness, we're not going to do theological talk and learn the Bible. I said, nope, this is not. I'll learn the Bible group. That's not the goal is it's a live the Bible group. Okay. And they uh, didn't say anything, but the third week there was eight people there. Total or per group? Total. Uh, No, per group. Eight per group. 16 down to eight times three groups. Okay. And uh, so that didn't surprise me. And that week, the people who were there had testimonies of how they obeyed, Mm. but not all, maybe one or two people out of the eight had a good story. But now there was some excitement and everyone made good action steps and more people started to obey. It wasn't till the eighth week that everyone kind of understood the routine. They realized it's about living this out. But I realized it took about eight weeks till everyone was kind of in the rhythm of actually crafting an obedience action step. 
and doing it. Um, then about in one of the groups that after about six months of doing this, a couple people said, well, when is the class over? And I realized the mentality was whatever comes along in church, it's for eight weeks or six weeks and then it's over. Like when is the curriculum done? And I said, well, the curriculum is the entire Bible and it's done when you die. <laughs> Being a disciple following Jesus is finished when, when you are finished with your life. And the people who asked that question then left. And the group shrinks a little more. At that point, we had spawned daughter groups. So that started downstream group. And the downstream groups were like three people or four people in a group, but there was two of them, two groups like that. And I thought, okay, that's really good. And they had a little bit of trouble getting those groups started. And so they just quit going. And after a few weeks, it's like nobody was obeying. And I realized, wow, we're at another phase here. And so I kept at it for another three months, trying to set have my life set an example, okay, that we're not just going to get weary at obeying Jesus. We're not just going to obey Jesus for the duration of the class, and then we kick back. But no one was obeying. And so I ended up closing that group altogether. I just met with the people and I said, look, this is about obeying and you guys are clearly not obeying and every week we come here and you have excuses why you never did stuff even stuff goals you set three months ago you still haven't even found time to do them in three months and i said i can't lead a group where we just say yes you're lord lord but you don't obey mm. i started the three groups two of them ended up getting shut down for lack of obedience but even during the six or eight months that they were obedient, they saw fruit. The third group has continued on, but I've transitioned out. We, we work through a process where we train up leaders. We model, we assist them, we watch them, and then we leave, right? Mm -hmm. The mall process. And so we're always mauling up leaders. And so this third group has been faithful, consistently faithful. They've now been meeting for over two years. Pretty much everyone in the group has downstream or multiple downstream groups that they're leading. I love hearing that. And I think we all need to be reminded of the, <laughs> that it's not all success stories. There is a bunch of sweat equity involved. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of people I coach say, well, we're looking for people and found one. And yeah, they're not just growing on trees, friends. Right. I don't know your context, but you have to look possibly a long time. So people ask me, well, how long till you find the person of peace? And I say, well, it'll be somewhere between about five minutes and two years. <laughs> or do you have to develop the person of peace? Well, we develop everybody, but right. they are or they're not, okay? You're not going to, like, put their life together and they'll become a person of peace. That's a misunderstanding of the term. They're wired that way already their position in their family and social network as a leader already. You're not going to like create that through some discipleship process. But the harvest is plentiful. And our job is to look for it and to divinely ask God, lead me to where you're working. And then you go. Now, how long does that take? I have no idea. But don't give up, friends.
This was a Field 3 episode that answered the question, how do we help new disciples follow Jesus? But as you heard, it can bleed back into Field 2 to help us point seekers to the gospel through a discovery-based Bible study. If you're interested in anything we talked about in this episode, check out the show notes at ontheroad.feeny.com. That is ontheroad, all lowercase and together, dot P-H-E-A-N-E-Y dot com. You've probably thought, oh, I'll check out those show notes sometime. Well, this is the time to actually do it, as Steve sent me a few documents with permission to share them. There's a great document with tips for leaders on how to effectively lead a group, as well as a couple of different story sets. You'll have to check out the show notes to get them, though. So go do that now. Unless you're actually on the road right now, then wait until you get your car parked. If you have a question to ask or a story to share, you can go to that same page and look for the jump in heading. I'd love to hear from you. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing the gospel, making disciples, and reproducing leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.